Welcome to Mom and Up. With your co-host, developmental psychologist, Dr. Marty Erickson, and Dr. Aaron Erickson, maternal child health specialist and nurse practitioner. Here's my grandma, Marty. And here's Aaron, my mom and mom. Welcome to Mom Enough. I'm Erin Erickson here with my mom, Marty, and today we're going to be talking about mental health, especially as it relates to LGBTQ plus youth. And our guest today, Derek T. Jordan, has a Master's of Divinity and is a licensed master social worker. He's also the director of the Ackerman Institute's Gender and Family Project. For years, Derek has led spiritually-based educational initiatives while serving in various ministerial capacities at nationally recognized faith organizations. Derek's pastoral care and counseling experience helps guide his clinical work, navigating the complexities of faith and spirituality at the intersection of race, ethnicity, culture, gender identity, expression, and sexuality. So thank you so much for joining us, Derek. I think this is a very, very important topic, and we're so glad you could be here today. Aaron and Marty, thank you so much for having me. I'm just pleased to be here and happy to share and be a part of this discussion. Well, thank you. And I echo Aaron's welcome, Derek. I've been um, communicating with you over email and talking with one of your representatives and have just been very excited about having you with us. I wonder if you could start us off by just telling us about the Ackerman Institute, where you are the director of their gender and family project, and specifically talk a little bit about what that project really entails. Who are your patients, your clients, and how do you help them? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So uh, Ackerman Institute for the Family um, is the kind of umbrella institute that houses various projects and centers. And each project and center has a an area of expertise in which they focus on. Uh, we have a Latinx project that works and focuses on uh, matters involving Latinx youth, children, and their families. We have several others. We have Gender and Family Project, which focuses on supporting uh, gender-expansive youth, children, and their families. Um, So Ackerman's been around since 1960 um, and is one of the best-known and most highly regarded um, training facilities for family therapists in the U.S. Uh, Gender and Family Project was started in 2010 as a group of volunteers and has blossomed into this very large organization that has a number of services that we provide for families. So there are four main departments or legs under Gender and Family Project. We have our non-clinical services and programs, which are our community groups uh, that we offer. So those are monthly groups where we meet Uh, We have groups for caregivers and parents of gender-creative kids. We have a group for teenagers. We have a group for tweens. And we have what we call our GCK group, which is our gender-creative kids. Um, So we try to capture ages 5 to 18. And monthly we meet. And there are structured and thoughtful activities and engagement that the young folks get into that 
helps support their social emotional development, gives them coping skills, tools, and resources just to navigate life, right? Um, it's not hard, right? It's not hard being a teen, tween, or young person. And when you're bringing in gender identity and trying to figure that out and figure out who you are, um, our work is really geared towards making sure that we can equip the young people in the best ways that we can so that they can go out into the world, be their true and authentic selves, and be able to navigate it successfully. Um, and in the same way, we have our community group, which we used to label support group, but we we changed the language a little bit because what we found is that you get support through community, right? We don't like the idea of you need support because you have a trans or, or non-binary or gender non-conforming young person, right? You need community. That's what it's about. So we have community groups that we get together and we exchange information, we share stories, and uh, we create space for each other um, to process, right? To process each other's experiences. Um, And it's beautiful. Um, It's one of our most in-demand services that we offer at Gender and Family Project. And um, since we've returned to in-person this past September, I'm super excited about that. We were virtual for some time, but as many of us know, Zoom fatigue is real and it impacts us in our mental health in so many ways. So we were pleased to be able to open our doors and have our community come in um, and meet once a month. So Those are our non-clinical services. We also have a research department. So our research department really looks at uh, what are the best practices around supporting TGNC young people and their families? What do we know? What don't we know? Um, Are there tools? Is there data that we should be collecting um, that can help better inform the way in which we do support TGNC young people and their families? Um, So we have a a coordinator who's over that and interns that are going through information, sending out evaluations and surveys and just trying to collect as much data as we can to kind of fill in some of the gaps with the hopes of uh, publishing more, presenting at conferences, and even giving more tools to other mental health professionals, right? Uh, Social workers, school counselors, teachers, um, so that they can be better prepared. Um, So we have non-clinical services research. We also have a training department. So we provide training to um, the New York City Department of Education. So we have a series, a monthly series of workshops that we provide for them where social workers, counselors, uh, teachers, staff, uh, even parents can come and learn more about the ways in which they can be supportive learn about ways in which they can increase their allyship and advocacy, uh, learn how to navigate some challenges maybe that they're facing within their own organizations. Uh, We work with nonprofits and and corporations, right, who may not be uh, provide direct services, but they certainly recognize the need that maybe we need to have some institutional change. Maybe our policies aren't quite as inclusive as they could be. Um, So let's bring in some folks who know a little bit more about this than we do. And let's have a conversation about what our potential could be, what this could look like to have a truly inclusive environment, right? So in training, we have a pretty large training department as well. And we have lots of trainings for individual schools, again, for DOE and and different organizations. Um, 
And that's really exciting work, right? It's exciting to kind of share our passion for this with other folks. Um, and then we're also providing clinical services in the form of family therapy. So we provide ongoing weekly therapy for families of TGNC uh, youth and young people. And I'm using TGNC uh, transgender nonconforming. Uh, so just an acronym we use. Um, so we provide that service, the clinical service for them to help uh, be with them on their journey. Um, one of the things that we hear often, and I'm based in New York City, uh, so even in a city as large as New York, uh, folks often come in and say, you know, I feel alone. Um, I don't really have a queer community to reach out to. I don't know what resources are out there. What do I do? How do I navigate this? So uh, we are creating space for them, you know, not making decisions for the families, but we're just creating a safe space with no judgment where they can come in and process some of this um, and then empower them to make the decisions that they need to make moving forward um, that's in the best interest of the young person and the family. Um, so that's a bit about Gender and Family Project um, and, uh, and, and the services that we provide. Oh, well, I, I loved hearing about that. And I think what's really powerful is that you have both kind of your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the community and, and with uh, TGNC youth and LGBTQ youth. And, and then you're also kind of doing this research and training. And so there's something really authentic about that. Like if you're just doing research or you're just doing training, but you're not doing the work, I think it's a, it, it creates a, it's a, just a different experience. And so it, it feels like there's something really present about what you're doing in, in these different branches of that work. So with an increase in hateful rhetoric towards LGBTQIA plus youth, <laughs> I know that um, we're, we're growing our, t- our, our terminology and trying to be inclusive here and, um, so I hope you will also let us know if language we're using isn't as inclusive as it could be. Um, but how are the mental health challenges faced by these young people changing? And, and perhaps are these challenges more severe than you've seen in the past? Erin, mm. that's a great question. Um, first, I, I think the context in which we live is important, right? Where... Uh, we're constantly bombarded with information coming from everywhere. You turn on the television, you open your phone, and you've got all of these different notifications of things kind of happening around us. So just kind of thinking about kind of what our society looks like as far as how we uh, receive information. And then we think about the young person's development, right? We think about how they are in a place where their minds are stretched, growing, they're pulling in all this information and trying to figure out who they are. They're already faced with anxiety. They're already faced with having to navigate challenges, make decisions, right? If we weren't even talking about sexual orientation or gender identity, right? It's just tough to be a tween and teen, right? Um, So, you know, when you think about, is there an increase of this, Um, Possibly. I think some mental health concerns that are coming up for young people um, certainly has been exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, We know what the isolation has done, and we really won't know the ramifications of that for years to come. 
Um, but just the idea of being in community with one another is a key part of our social development, right? And so, um, you know, and when we also think about, you know, the ways in which um, this hateful rhetoric um, is kind of impacting LGBTQ youth, um, it makes me think about the importance of uh, family communication, uh, structure, and boundaries. And in particular, in this overly stimulated world, right? Um, we know that structure and boundaries are important for uh, young people and children, whether they push back or don't want it or not, uh, you know, that that is something very important to their development. And so um, to speak to how one can address um, kind of these this rhetoric uh, conversations that demean or, or uh think or speak poorly of the LGBTQ community, I really think it's important that we do focus on that that family piece, right? Which is where our work is grounded. Our work is grounded in the family because it starts there. And we know that the family is the biggest protective factor for that young person. And even as families are navigating challenges with their young people, how do we help families open up honest and authentic communication and dialogue with one another um, to have some of these challenging conversations um, that are out here. Um, Because there are a lot of conflicting messages, right? There are a lot of conflicting messages about what is gender affirming care. And if you go see an organization that provides gender affirming care, are they kind of pushing you into one direction or another, right? And that's not the case. Um, and again, it kind of goes back to you know what grounds gender and family project, which is just really creating a non-judgmental and open space for families to process, to learn, and and to grow together. Oh yes, definitely. That was I really appreciated your thoughtful response. So, uh, Derek, you mentioned the importance of family and um, boundaries and structure and so on uh, in this large context of children's mental health. Um, And I wonder if you could talk a little bit specifically about what parents can do to protect their children from abuse from other kids and from a society that often devalues them. So what more can you say about the role of families in kind of concrete terms? So sure. So Marty, thank you so much for that question. Um, I really appreciated that. So, um, you know, what we see is... uh, What's important for young people and families is to know that, you know, you're stepping out into this this world. Um, Parents often experience a lot of anxiety about, well, my kid's going to go to school and what if they're bullied or maybe they are being bullied. Um, Children spend so much of their day in school and outside of the home. And this idea of a parental Uh, protection, being able to be with them physically all the time really isn't possible, right? Because they're going out into this this world. And so when we think about what that looks like as far as empowerment, um, that when kids feel secure and confident in who they are, um, what we see is that they're able to kind of navigate some of those challenges a little bit better. 
And so then if you look at that and, and kind of take the step back, well, how do you get to that empowerment, right? How do you get to a place where even if as a parent, you're not sure how to navigate this journey with the young person, but you also want to give something to them, right? You also want them to be empowered and feel strong and confident. And so just a few concrete things that I always suggest um, is that to listen, right? Um to be attentive, to limit distraction, right? Um, the coming out process, for example, is a huge step uh, for folks. And when you think about young people and how difficult it is for one to come out and, and share this part of themselves openly, right? Uh, not knowing if a family member, if a friend is going to reject them or if they're going to accept them. So when you think about what is the family's role, what are the parents' role, is to really listen. Even if you have questions, even if you're not sure, even if you're not certain, even if there's conflict, you know, with your own beliefs and values, creating that space for the young person to be able to share uh, openly, uh, you're not only validating what they're sharing, you're modeling for them. It's okay for me to bring tough things to my parents. It's okay for me to not really have the answers or know what's going on inside of me, but this is a place that I can come to. These are the folks that I can come to and I can get support, right? So that's one of the key pieces, I think, in the ways in which parents can can connect with their young people, right? Um, because there's a lot that you may not be able to do when we think about a young person going out into the world, but there's a lot that parents can give their kids, they can give them love, they can give them care, and they can give them compassion, right? Um, so I think that's one of the, the biggest protective factors that we find um, is being able to provide that for the young person as you're all trying to figure this out as a family. Um, and so just as far as the organization and structure piece, um, yeah, I just think that is something that can help with anxiety. I think that's something that can help with having to navigate all of these social pressures, these external pressures, internal conflict, right? Um, for a parent to be able to create a system, uh, create some sort of way of structuring the day and time, integrating check-in time with, with young people, I think is critical and crucial. I was having a conversation recently with someone who um, we were talking about how families rarely sit down for dinner anymore, right? We'll kind of grab something to eat and someone will be over here and someone will be over there and we're on our phones and we miss out on the opportunity to connect. So slowing down, right? Being intentional in the ways that we communicate with each other you know, if, if your young person's coming to you and sharing something, limiting those distractions, put the phone down, turn the TV on mute, right? Um, modeling that it's okay to share, that it's okay to express yourself, and that I'm here for you. Those are some pretty significant structural uh, techniques or items or details that have really worked successfully with a lot of families that I've worked with. Well, I, I so appreciate just how applicable what you're talking about is to any aspect of parenting and, um, you know, whether or not your child's having uh, concerns about uh, their uh, 
identity or or other aspects of of just what it means to grow up and and to grow up today. And I, I love that you brought up the piece about family dinners. And I've I've often had concerns about just how overscheduled kids are that we're missing these really important points of connection. And uh, I know at least in Minnesota, where we we don't have the greatest uh, mass transit system, you know, we're often driving together with our kids, which has been a nice time for those points of of communication. But I think what you said about just that we can model this ourselves. And as parents, I think it's so important that we create a safe space for our kids to tell us what's going on. And a lot of times that means checking our own judgment and our own opinions on things. Um, it's a different time today than when I grew up and I'm continuously learning new things and um, kind of trying to stay with the times. And my kids are very quick to tell me the ways I'm not doing that. And I take that opportunity to listen to their perspective and to understand so that I can continue to be a safe space for them to come to me with concerns and, and to share my own experiences, which kind of, like you were saying, that modeling. And so I think it is so important that we create that time and and that we don't let the pressures of, you know, you got to be the best at this, or you've got to have this good resume, or you've got to be involved in all these things um, get in the way. And of course, I also recognize that um, that's a perspective of, of, you know, we have, uh, depending on your background and your resources, you may or may not be as involved. Maybe your, your involvement is that you're working three or four jobs as a parent and you don't have time at home with your kids. So it can look different ways. And I want to acknowledge that too, that there's kind of different ways this plays out, but we're all being pulled in different directions for different reasons. And that time is really critical that we give our kids that, that structured time and space. Mom, you wanted to say something as well. Well, I, I wanted to say what you just said in terms of how important these concepts are for all families, just as you described. But I also wanted to raise an issue um, that I think is really important to this the difficulty of staying connected and communicating. And you touched on this, Derek, when you said, even if the what the child is doing or the young person is doing around their gender identity and sexual development and so on, runs against the parents' values. And I think what we're dealing with a lot of times is that parents have so much emotion around these these issues. And sometimes it is because these really confront values. They hold religious values and, and um, you know, general values that they grew up with. But it also is, um, even if parents are conceptually very accepting, when it's your child, let's say it's your daughter who is now going to become your son, um, that is a feeling of loss for parents many times, even if they, you know, even if they're not judging it, it's, um, it's a really hard thing for parents. And I think to be able to talk about that is important, but it also, when those feelings are so powerful, they also will lead us to protect ourselves from those feelings by avoiding, you know, avoidance is just one of the biggest 
um, defense mechanisms that people use in all kinds of difficult situations. So I think it really requires a lot of support for parents to kind of work through their own feelings about that. Uh, I'm sure you do that in your work with families around these issues and, um, you know, also in, in the other kinds of supportive um, or, or community engagement sorts of things you're doing. Uh, I just think that's really important. So um, I, I really, I think it's important for us to be able to name the various ways that this can be difficult for parents, even as they're totally loving their child and, and maybe, um, you know, really, really accepting it, but still struggling with the losses that it evokes for them or the, you know, the worries about what the world is going to do to your child. You know, none of us wants to see our child uh, being hurt or harmed with words or, or much more um, physically destructive actions in way too many cases. You know, the kind of physical bullying and hate crimes against uh, LGBTQ people are well documented. So the worries and the sense of loss um, quite often, I think, is very, very important to address. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, just to add to that, if I could, Erin, um, thank you so much for your reflection and, and Marty, um, just your thoughts around this, because there's so much that goes into, right, what we're talking about. We're talking about generational differences. We're talking about different uh, um, backgrounds. We're talking about different privileges and, and spaces of being marginalized, right? We're talking about all these different factors that go into our understanding uh, of what a young person could be going through. And yes, right, we see a lot of parental anxiety will come up as a, as a defense mechanism, right? Um, and in an attempt to um, protect and shield their young person, they kind of retreat to kind of these defense mechanisms. Um, and we see how that often plays out. And we see, so even if you think about, um, our social construct and its role in society. Um, you know, we still do gender reveal parties and we label children before they've really had an opportunity to know who they are, um, whether that be gender identity or sexual orientation. Um, we make assumptions that if there's a child that uh, was given the gender of male at birth, that, oh, you're going to do you have a girlfriend yet? Or do, you know, we know when a child is two years old, two to three years old, they have a pretty firm understanding of what their gender identity is, right? They may not be able to articulate it in the ways in which an adult would. Um, but what does that mean when a child who was maybe uh, assigned female at birth, um, who inside is a boy, but they're forced to wear dresses. They're forced to do all of these things that society has deemed girly or feminine or, right? And the role that this social construct plays in the internal conflict and tension that young people experience, right? And, and I think, you know, to speak to the generational part, right? We're in a, a world today where we talk more about gender identity than I think we ever have, right? There's always been variance in gender across time, across countries, uh, forever, right? Um, even in some ancient texts. Um, but, you know, in a modern context, it's important to think about a young person, five or six, coming out as trans or coming out as queer, or coming out as gay, 
is not the same or for that young person to come out as trans or queer or gay now for someone who's older or had grown up in a different generation that wasn't something that was discussed as much right that wasn't something that was normalized as a part of society so we're really seeing this culture shift and we're in the midst of something that's really could be very beautiful um in being able to support people in who in their authentic selves and who they are um, that's the opportunity that we have. And unfortunately, because it conflicts with so many people's feelings and beliefs, that rhetoric that we see coming up is kind of in our face more time, more than not. There's more vehicles in which folks can express their disbelief or Uh, negative views and opinions just because of our modern context and the access that we have to various forms of communication. So it works both ways. It's great that we can have these open conversations and dialogues. It's great that you have this podcast, right? That we can have, have these moments. And at the same time, in the same way that we may approach um, care for uh, queer TGNC young people in an open platform to discuss, there's the other side of it that is also can be really hurtful and harmful for young people to hear. Um, and it's not affirming and it's not really creating space to even understand what the young person is going through. Oh, I so appreciate that. Uh, I think that's such an important uh, perspective and, and way of thinking about this. So I feel like we could talk to you all day about this topic. It's, a, it's so important. And uh, I, I think it's just so great that organizations like Ackerman's Gender and Family Project are doing this very important work. And so I hope we can have you back again to talk more about this. But I want to uh, kind of ask you a related question to what we're just talking about now is what is your advice to parents whose kids have recently come out to them for the first time? How can parents be most supportive during what often is a difficult time for parents and kids and a really mentally challenging time? How can we be be supportive parents in that process? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, Erin, I really appreciate that. Um, the first thing that came to mind uh, as far as guidance for parents is to breathe, right? Take a moment, take a breath ground yourself. Um, So often I hear parents in a place of such great anxiety and it seems like things are just moving so fast that we forget to be in the present, right? And so similar to some comments and reflections I was sharing earlier, um, being able to listen without judgment is one of the most important things, right? Um, If it's scary for the parent, imagine what the child could be going through, right? Imagine the level of anxiety that they could be experiencing in coming out, right? And they're coming out to the parents uh, because they need their support. They want them to know. They have an opportunity, the parents do, to be a part of the journey with the young person. Right. So I always tell folks, take a breath um, and pace yourself 
Um, it is a journey with no finish line. I don't think there's really a finish line in anything in life, right? We're constantly striving to be better. We're constantly, you know, learning more and new things to better ourselves. Uh, we're changing as human beings every day, right? Based off of our interactions with other people, uh, the experiences that we have throughout adulthood. Um, so it's important to know that this is this is just this is a journey for you and the young person. Um, it's not just the young person that's coming out. It's also the parents. Now the parents, your parents of a queer or TGNC young person, right? What does that mean for you, right? There's a whole parental component there that I think it's important not to leave out. And, you know, celebrate with the young person, right? Um, because, it, like, again, it, it, again, it is scary. It can be scary for so many folks. Um, celebrate with them. Show how happy that you are for the young person to be honest with you, right? I think that's the piece, you know, especially for folks who may have some sort of conflict around belief or values and the idea of I can't celebrate my child's sexual orientation or gender identity because I'm still trying to figure it out for myself. Well, how about we celebrate the fact that your child came to you for support? You know, we can celebrate the fact that I can still love my child, you know, who, however they identify. That's something that I can give them. Um, so that's the celebration piece is, is important. And um, know that there are resources. Um, I think our modern context and one of the things that came from the pandemic is that we have more virtual resources now than ever. <laughs> uh, and I know, and oftentimes people may describe larger cities as being kind of in this bubble of resources that uh, they have access to. Um, however, that's changing. You know, there are services across the country that folks can reach out to, to get guidance, to get support. Um, there are communities that people can participate in. Um, and again, we understanding how important and helpful community is uh, as a way of, of support. Um, so that would be my guidance. Uh, take a breath. Um, it's a journey. Um, and there are resources available. Show your compassion. Celebrate your young person and who they are and the bra brave uh Celebrate your young person, who they are, and how they were able to be brave enough to kind of yeah. come to you. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I think we would all want our children to be that their authentic selves. And, yeah. um, and when it comes to mental health, how we respond at these times, whether it's a child who is coming out as TGNC or queer or any other thing that mm -hmm, our kid mm -hmm. might come to us with, like, I want to do this other path or, um, you know, anything in parenting. I mean, we have these expectations about what we think or hope for our kids. And the reality is that that doesn't define anything for our kids. They get to be the people that they are. And um, I, I really appreciate just how important it is that we celebrate that. I love that message of, of celebrating the courage, celebrating that they are living their authentic lives. And, and that we know is closely connected to their mental health and their well-being. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I think when it comes to the mental health of, of LGBTQ youth, how we respond and support them in that process is essential to their optimal outcomes. And so 
so appreciate Derek, your message and your wisdom and uh, just really, I think it, it's not that hard in the way you describe this, that really we're just being empathetic human beings and supporting our kids and um, that, that having that time, creating that listening and uh, safe space for our kids is so important. So thank you so much for your time and your message and uh, for telling us about the important work of the Ackerman's Gender and Family Project. So thank you so much for joining us, Derek. And thank you to all of you for tuning in as well. I'm Erin here with my mom, Marty, and we are Mom Enough. We hope you'll tune in again next week. Content copyrighted by Marty and Aaron Erickson. All rights reserved. Visit momenough.com for an archive of all Mom Enough shows and many free downloadable resources on child development, parenting, and maternal health and well-being. Do you think I'll have a show called Kid Enough someday?